0: Welcome to Business Lens Broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and thank you to all of our podcast subscribers. Wait, you're not subscribed yet? Please do. It's super easy. It's fun, and it really does help us out. So do your ratings and reviews, which we always love seeing the five-star ones, but hey we trust your judgment. And I'm joined as always on this show by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, which is the number one stock investing radio show in America. And he joins us here as well from time to time for a look into the biggest stories going on in the world of business, economics, finance, and the markets. Oh, we've got a big one. We've got a juicy one, Chris Hill. I'm really, I'm kind of looking forward to this. I'm, um, Give me a moment. Listeners, grab your popcorn. Here we go. Elon Musk versus Twitter, the big breakup. Go. I just want to say, um, to quote
1: Tony Kornheiser, the co-host of Pardon the Interruption, the longtime uh, running show on ESPN, uh, as, as Tony says from time to time, I believe I had that. I believe I had this Matt, you know, I'm not going to break my arm patting myself on the bat, but I believe earlier this year when we talked about this, I went out of my way to say, and by the way, there's a good chance this deal doesn't go through. There's a good chance Elon Musk flakes or finds something he doesn't like and just walks away from this deal. Now, if you had asked me at that time, um, how do you think it will end? Uh, I would have been incorrect, because I would have said, well, he's got all the money in the world, he'll pay the $1 billion breakup fee. Um, And that's something that happens with pretty much all um, acquisitions. There is an agreement that two sides enter into, and there is a breakup fee, if if, uh, the acquiring uh, entity walks away. And no, he's not walking away. He's not writing them a $1 billion check and just walking away. This is going to court in Delaware. And I have no idea how this is going to end. Um, There are a lot of people saying, look, um, he may just be trying to get a better price. Um, Musk has alleged that there are more bots on Twitter than he originally thought. And that that's why he's walking away from this deal. Um, Remember, he agreed to buy them at $54 a share. Twitter is currently trading closer to $30 a share. So it wouldn't be the dumbest strategy in the world for him to try and negotiate a better price. Um, It's also possible that he's forced to just pay the $1 billion uh, to to get out of this. Um, So I don't know where this is going, but uh, I I could not possibly pop enough corn to watch what's going to unfold because this is going to get messy I mean, it's already pretty messy. Um, And the the only sympathy I feel really is for the people who work at Twitter. The employees of Twitter are just in limbo now, which is a terrible place to be if you're in a personal relationship or at a company that's been acquired and the deal is now on hold.
0: Yeah, I mean, the personal relationship analogy is pretty good one here, because my read of the legal situation is Elon Musk has sent. A letter to Twitter saying, "Dear loser, welcome to Dumpsville. Population: you." And Twitter has responded, "I'm calling my father. He's bringing his shotgun, and you're showing up to the altar. Ha 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 ha." And um, you know that's that's my trench of legal analysis. By the way, you can tell I did not go to law school. I, I mean, it is this whole thing is kind of surpassingly strange in a way because. You were able to call this. You really were. I will, I will validate yourself Bat Packery. Um, Is that a thing? Backpattery, whatever you just did to yourself there. You're, you're, you're right. You did call it. And it did seem from the get-go like he was kind of playing footsie here. He was sort of being a dilettante. He was, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really clear what his agenda was and his pretext for this breakup is awfully thin as well. So you don't know what's going to happen. You're obviously, you're not a legal analyst either. But do you have any thesis as to what his objective was here? I mean, do, was there, is there anything good that, that could have come out of this that, that he was trying to achieve?
1: Um, I, I'm not certain. I, I My hunch is that he has buyer's remorse. I mean, I really don't think it's more complicated than that. Um, I think he probably regrets signing this agreement. And, you know, again, from Twitter's standpoint, uh, Twitter's board of directors is not messing around. They're saying, well, you signed this deal and um, we expect this deal to go forth. And if it's not going to go forth, you're going to write us a check with a bunch of zeros on it. So um, I, I, I really I really don't know where it goes from here. I I think he regrets the the, sort of the um, the agreement that he entered into. And again, if you're if you're a Twitter shareholder, uh, you're also in limbo because the one you know the one thing that uh, I think is fair to say about investing in any company is you want that company just to sort of focus on their business, not have any distractions. This is such a massive distraction for Twitter and its board of directors and its CEO. And this is a business that was not exactly firing on all cylinders to begin with. So they need to get this over with as quickly as possible and set about, you know, writing their
0: ship. Well, can I ask you a super specific question about this then? I, I mean, I have no idea how this kind of thing is handled legally, but he's disparaging the company as part of his, this isn't just a dear loser, welcome to Dumsville population, you. It's supplying some detail of like, you smell, you uh, owe money to, to, you know, gambling establishments all over town, and it's, it's time you read that letter from your doctor more closely. I mean, to say that Twitter is more rife with bots than he even realized, that's not going to do, I mean, let's say, let's say that the people theorizing out there that, oh, he's just negotiating, playing some hardball, trying to get a better price. All right, let's say they're right. I mean, wouldn't he then ultimately be taking over a company whose value is degraded? I mean, the entire value of a network is the network. It's the size and worth of the network. Advertisers pay to get attention from eyeballs. And if those eyeballs aren't real, the value of the network is lower. So, any any thoughts on that? Like, is, are there any analogous situations you can think of where a merger fails to get consummated and one party kind of disses the other one on the way out and kind of poisons the well?
1: Uh, it, it, it's, um, it's a unique situation, um, in part because even if this was going swimmingly, it's a unique situation for a single person to just um, have the resources to, on his or her own, take a company private, and uh, and do so to the tune of tens of billions of dollars. So, um, but no, I mean, uh, uh, Visa recently had an acquisi- acquisition they were planning to make. Um, it ran into some regulatory problems, and you know, I think they would have loved to go through with the deal, but they couldn't. Um, and they just wrote a polite statement and said, we're walking away from this deal. So you're right. The, the way he's disparaging Twitter uh, as a business um, is, is just one more reason to get the popcorn.
0: Well, this entire thing, I have to say, has this has a quality of it's like a far side cartoon where, you know, you see you see the cat like looking at two dogs about to collide and envisioning their heads making the sound like two ripe melons coming together. And it's like, you know, it, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and it couldn't happen to a nicer platform. Speaking of which I'm at Matt L Robeson on Twitter. So give me a follow. I I'd sure appreciate it. I'd appreciate it especially because I know that if you're listening to this, you have human ears. You're not a bot. And I, I, I love my bot followers, but I like my human followers better. All right. Look, Chris Hill, you're a man with a lot of followers. You, you, you've got like 100,000 people downloading your podcast every day. Let's 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 turn to some good news. Let's turn to some good news. Things are looking up. We did a couple of shows a few weeks back where we're like, all right, that's it. Things are, things are terrible. Things are really bad. Markets down, economies, all the indicators. Well, the, the indicators were mixed. But now it looks like, honestly, we've always been in a strong job situation, a tight labor market. And we're seeing wage performance up, the, the sky high mortgage rates and housing prices beginning to, to dissipate a little bit. And thank goodness, gas prices coming down a little bit. So what do you make of the macro economic environment? And more important, what is the market making of it?
1: I think in general, the market is um, digesting this news in largely positive ways. But it's important to remember the backdrop for this is the stock market just had its worst first half of the year since the early 1970s. So, uh, you know, are, is the market uh, sort of bouncing up a little bit? Yes, it is off of the recent 20% drop. But as you said, we're, we're seeing gas prices come down. We're seeing the housing market cool off, both in terms of mortgage rates coming down a little bit. Uh, also, we're seeing um, sort of the, um, everyone's gonna pay 20% over asking price from now until the end of time on uh, home purchases. That's coming to an end. Uh, there was a report out earlier in the week from Redfin about how 15% of um, home sales were canceled in uh, the month of June, um, which is a pretty high percentage of, of people basically just, uh, and these are not uh, purchases of new homes. These are sort of existing homes. Uh, if you were selling your ha- house to me, um, I, I would, Walk away from that, or rather, if this were happening 100 times, 15 times, I'm walking away from it, even though the, the house is under contract. Um, so I, I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what the Federal Reserve does with interest rates, uh, the next couple of times they meet because they, you know we're starting to see more evidence, Matt, that um, inflation is cooling off. And so therefore, the interest rate hikes that everyone had sort of penciled in for the rest of the year may not be necessary at those levels. Um, We're about to enter um, uh, earnings season later this week. Um, I think it's fair to say that expectations across the board are pretty low. Um, But in general, uh, when expectations are low on Wall Street, um, those end up being pretty good times because a lot of companies Uh, tend to outperform low expectations.
0: You know, low expectations are are really important for for psychology. It's so interesting. This comes up in politics, which is more my vein all the time. I mean, way back, way back to like the Al Gore versus George W. Bush debate series. There was all this discussion in the media. Well, Al Gore was a champion debater at Harvard. And Democrats were like pulling their hair out because they were saying, no, do not raise expectations. I literally had my mentor in grad school say to me, well, now all George W. Bush has to do is not drool on the stage, and he's going to win these debates. It feels the same way with these upcoming earnings reports. And frankly, I mean, look, just to mix the politics and the economic and the market context, as you're saying, we, we've been in this historically bad, I mean, historically, like over recent decades, bad market. And we've had, you know, high inflation, high gas prices. I'm beginning to wonder if we've set the bar so low for people's expectations that almost anything is going to look good. Let's just let's just do the earnings for for just a second. I mean, are you what are you really looking for this time around? You you always each time we come to earnings season, you have a you have your eye on a different indicator that you think is particularly interesting. So what's going to be what's going to be under the eye of Chris Hill this time?
1: I think across the board I'm I'm curious to hear how different uh, company CEOs talk about hiring and staffing. Um, you and I have talked about this before, particularly when it came uh, earlier in the pandemic with um, restaurant chains. But I, I, I think that uh, staffing is going to be a, a really key issue, um, particularly as large tech companies who have nothing to do with the restaurant industry are um, having their own challenges. And in some cases, they are freezing hiring um, in other cases, in, in small isolated cases, we're hearing reports of companies that are rescinding job offers from people. So I think that's sort of a, a, a broad thing to look at. In terms of the stocks themselves, um, I think particularly this time around, the retail companies are going to be worth listening to um, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the most important part of the year for retailers is the holiday season in December and November, The second most important is back to school. So we're gonna start to hear from Target and Walmart and Amazon and and maybe to a slightly lesser degree, Costco, um, what their expectations are for back to school shopping. Um, Target came out uh, earlier in the summer with um, a pretty bad um, uh, sort of basically admission of how they handled their own inventory. Um, So I think Target is going to be one to watch uh, and to see if they can get their inventory right in time for back to school. Um, But I I think both from a hiring standpoint and just from an inventory standpoint, I'm curious to hear about that. And then one more I'll throw out there is just some of these software companies where the stocks have just gotten hammered over the past year. I mean, in some cases, shares are down 60, 70 percent. Of companies where, if you just look at the underlying business, the underlying business is stronger than it was two, three years ago. You're seeing the types of things that you would like to see in an, in any business, which is they're growing revenue, they're growing sale, all that sort of thing, um, and you know, taking market share. Um, and yet the stocks just get hammered. So uh, when I refer to the low expectations, I'm not predicting this. I'm just saying this. This isn't going to stun me if this happens. Um, Just like earlier in the year, we had some companies coming out with really great earnings reports and their stocks just got hammered. It didn't matter. And there was just so much pessimism in the market. I just thought, oh my gosh, if some of these huge profitable companies like Microsoft and Nvidia are putting out these great numbers and their stocks are getting hammered, then that says more to me about the state of Emotions on Wall Street than anything else. And what it's not going to surprise me if we see, maybe not the reverse of that, but if we start to see uh, companies coming out beating low expectations and their stocks get five, 10% bumps in a single day, signaling like, all right, the worst of this is over, just like the worst of it appears to be over with the price of gas and with inflation. um, It's not going to shock me if we see that with stocks too.
0: That would be very encouraging if we started to see this feeling. It's like, okay, we've corrected as much as we need to correct. Irrational and exuberant expectations have now been erased, and we can get back to you know, under-promising and over-delivering. I mean, it is interesting. A few weeks ago on the Beyond Politics show, we had Mark Zandi, the noted economist, who copped to some responsibility for the John McCain line that the fundamentals of the economy were strong in 2008. And he's like, look, you know, I I don't want to sound like I'm saying that again this time, but the fundamentals here are actually pretty good. And they point toward a direction of we're going to crest on gas prices. We're going to crest on inflation, maybe not as soon politically as some would like to see it. But, you know, that's those those indicators are there. So it feels like what we really need to see now is the psychology come around.
1: Well, and just the, the last thing I'll add on that, Matt, is, um, you know, the recessions in my adult lifetime, I don't remember them being accompanied by an unemployment rate of three point six percent. Three point
0: six percent. So
1: I, I'm not an economist. I, you know, if if the powers that be come out and say, no, we've had two consecutive quarters of negative growth, and that definitionally is a recession, like okay, then we're in a recession. I've just never seen one with an unemployment rate as low as we're having right now.
0: Well, you know what's so weird for all our listeners about recessions is that on the one hand, the rule of thumb you're taught is what you just said, two straight quarters in a row of negative growth, negative GDP. But that's not necessarily a given because there's this arcane organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research. They get the final say, and there's actually been some ink on this recently that they may look at this whole mishmash of numbers and say, yeah, we've had negative growth, but exactly what you just said, exactly. I've never, you know, but we can't call it a recession at 3.6% unemployment. You know, jobs count for something. I don't know what, but- People seem to like having them so that they can earn money, which you can then exchange for goods and services. One of those goods and services that you can buy is going to the movies. That's a real throwback. And we always love to check in on how Hollywood and streaming services and entertainment in general are doing on this show. And they're going gangbusters. People are saying, hey, my hard-earned money, I'm going to send it to the box office. I mean, what's what's going on and what's your read on it?
1: Um. It's pretty great to see. I say this both as uh, someone who's a fan of movies, um, but also who is rooting for movie theaters to continue to exist. Um, so every Monday, um, one of the stories you can find if you're interested is, uh, what was the biggest movie at the box office over the weekend? And this past weekend, the biggest movie was the the new uh, Marvel movie about Thor. And Um, that's not really a big surprise. What was a surprise to me, and I think a lot of other people who follow business for a living, is that the total amount of money at the box office this past weekend, so not just what did Thor do at the box office, but all movies combined, the total amount of money was $240 million, Mm. total box office for the weekend. This same weekend, three years ago, when there was no pandemic, the total box office take was 185 million. So even if you allow for a little bit of inflation on top of that 185 million, um, you're still looking at some really nice growth over a three-year period. Um, And I think that this will be interesting to see how this plays out for the rest of the year. Um, It helps that there are studios committed to making films that really are the summer tentpole blockbusters. Um, I can't recall if you and I have talked about, uh, the Top Gun sequel. Um, I went and we saw did. it in the theater, took my father-in-law. Um, it was, it, 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 it delivered the goods. That's what I say to people when they ask me, what did you think of the movie? It delivers the goods. It does all the things you want a Top Gun movie to, to do. And it's just, it's one of those movies that actually is better on the big screen than it is on the TV I have in my basement. So, um, I think this is great to see. Um, We've got Comic-Con coming up um, next week in San Diego, which is the big, you know, sort of the big pop culture event of the year. And uh, it is back in force, in person, um, and all the studios are going to be going down there to sort of promote and and sort of build on this excitement. And I think it's, they've got some momentum going into Comic-Con this year, not just because they're back fully in person, but also because it's coming on the heels of this huge win for the entertainment industry. Um, So I'm I'm really excited to see what comes of it. All right, here comes Debbie Downer for you. I'm going to
0: try in a way that is not really economically supportable, maybe to tie our our, most, our last discussion with our previous discussion, the inflation story and the movie story. Because what we saw with the inflation story was we had this pandemic-induced recession. So the US government sent out a lot of money and a lot of support. They pumped money into the economy. So now there's a ton of funds available for consumption and too much money chasing too few goods. And what we got was inflation. We got a, a mismatch there. Now, here's how I'm going to attempt to pour cold water all over your day, Chris Hell. In the movie industry, we've had all number of gyrations about like the future of movie theater chains and what works and is it all going to be Marvel movies in the future and et cetera. Do you think it's possible that we could draw the wrong lessons from the current performance at the box office here and maybe get a little bit out over our skis in terms of what works and what doesn't when we could just be dealing with a ton of pent up demand from people who are really ready in force to just go back to movie theaters.
1: I, I think there is something to that. Just like we're seeing with travel, people are willing to pay higher prices for flights and hotels because they haven't really traveled over the last few years the way that they have normally. Um, I I think we're going to find out the answer to this pretty quickly. I mean, if we see, and 2019 is the comparison to make for uh, the the movie industry right now. Um, uh, So year-over-year comparisons don't matter as much as how does 2022 compare to 2019. But if this keeps up through the summer, um, I I, I think it uh, encourages the studios to invest in the type of movies that really resonate on the big screen because let's face it that's really profitable for them that's so much more profitable for them than sending their movies right to a streaming service
0: well maybe this is just a version of that old country song titled how can i miss you if you won't go away maybe the fact that you know absence makes the heart grow fonder maybe the fact that we were without movies for a few years most of us maybe this this really is the start of a of a new trend well fingers crossed cuz you know what I, I'd love to go to a movie too. Maybe you and I will get together and we'll do that sometime soon. In the meantime, I'll just see you on Beyond Politics. Thanks so much, Chris. My pleasure.